This is Hinter Tales. I'm Rachel Dunstan Muller with stories of curious people, places, and events from the margins of history. It's late May, 1861, at the DM Railroad Depot in Detroit, Michigan. A band plays the Star Spangled Banner as a regiment of soldiers prepares to travel east to Washington to join the cause of the Union Army in the American Civil War. Banners are waving, women weeping. Men say their goodbyes to mothers, wives, sweethearts, then take their places proudly, their uniforms still new and fresh, their bayonets flashing in the morning sun. But there's one soldier in the crowd who doesn't quite fit in with the rest. Unlike the others, this soldier isn't an American from one of the northern states, but rather a Canadian from the maritime province of New Brunswick. And not only a Canadian, but a woman in disguise. As it turns out, the case of Sarah Emma Edmonds, a.k.a. Franklin Thompson, isn't as exceptional as you might think. Historians estimate that hundreds of women enlisted on both sides of the Civil War somewhere between 400 and 750 in total, possibly even more. Each had her own reason for disguising herself as a man. Some refused to be separated from husbands or brothers. Some were inspired by the cause or the promise of adventure. For some working-class women, a regular paycheck was all the incentive they needed. Sarah had her own unique reasons. Born in 1841, Sarah grew up on a farm in New Brunswick, not far from the border with the state of Maine. She was close to her mother, but despised her father. As she told a journalist decades later, she was born with a love of independence and a hatred of male tyranny. In our family, she said, the women were not sheltered, but enslaved. Thanks to her father's brutal example, Sarah grew up distrusting men. Again, in her own words, If occasionally I met one who seemed a little better than others, I set him down in my mind as a wolf in sheep's clothing and probably less worthy of trust than the rest. But when Sarah was 13, she had an encounter that changed the course of her life. Her mother gave a traveling peddler a bed for the night, and in gratitude the elderly man presented Sarah with a book the next morning, a novel called Fanny Campbell, The Female Pirate Captain, which described the fictional adventures of a woman dressed as a man during the American Revolution. Sarah was supposed to sow potatoes in a field out of sight of the house the day that book arrived, the first novel that she'd ever even seen. The potatoes did not get planted that day, however, at least not all of them. 
but another seed certainly did. Sarah was enthralled by what she read. It was the most wonderful day of my life, she said later. I went home that night with the problem of my life solved. I was emancipated. I would never again be a slave. From that day forward, Sarah began planning the details of her escape. The only way to be free from male oppression, she believed at this point, was to become one herself. Now, at 13, she wasn't quite ready to be independent. But just two years later, when her father arranged an unwanted marriage for her, she put on male clothes, presumably her brother's, and fled across the border to the United States. Sarah maintained her disguise for the next five years, selling Bibles for a Hartford, Connecticut publishing company. By all accounts, she was quite successful as a salesman, but when the Civil War broke out, she enlisted almost immediately. After five years of living as one, Sarah's attitude towards men had softened, but she still despised oppression in all its forms. Her desire in joining the army was not to kill, but to fight for the end of slavery in the South. Before enlisting, she spent days and nights reflecting on just how she could best serve the Union and its cause. Her decision? To maintain her male disguise and enlist in the 2nd Michigan Infantry Volunteers as a field nurse, ministering to sick and wounded soldiers. She reasoned that, as a man, she would be able to perform her duties with the least amount of embarrassment on either side. Furthermore, she had no desire to wait in some comfortable hospital well out of range of danger as most of the other female nurses did. She wanted to be at the front, to be present where she was needed most in the aftermath of each battle. Now, enlisting as a woman was not as difficult as you might think. No one on either side was asking for proof of identity. You could give any name you wanted. In Sarah's case, she chose the pseudonym Franklin Thompson. Furthermore, recruiters were focused on weeding out only the most visible handicaps, like poor sight or obvious lameness. There were no standardized medical exams, and so Sarah wasn't asked to remove her clothes. It wasn't as difficult as you'd think for a woman to keep her secret either, once she was in the army. The uniforms tended to be loose and ill-fitting, convenient for hiding bound breasts. And women got to keep those uniforms on as well without raising any eyebrows. Civil War soldiers slept in their clothing, even bathed in their underwear. And given how many underage boys had also enlisted, the fact that women had no facial hair wasn't a problem either. As for the call of nature, no one liked the reeking open trenches that served as latrines in camp, so a soldier disappearing into the privacy of the woods wasn't particularly worthy of attention. 
Even a woman's lack of military experience wasn't an issue. Most recruits on both sides had been civilians before the war, so everyone learned at the same time. Sarah, a.k.a. Frank, got her first taste of war that July at the Battle of Bull Run, the first major battle of the Civil War. It was a baptism by fire for all involved. Sarah spent the first half of the battle delivering canteens of water to sunstruck and exhausted soldiers, and the second half tending the wounded, as much as this was possible while bullets and shells were still flying. As you can imagine, it was a horrific scene. Men bleeding, broken, crushed, mangled. When the battle was finally over, Sarah retreated to the stone church behind the lines that had been set up as a temporary hospital, one of many in the area, and began the brutal work of tending the injured, dressing wounds, assisting the surgeons to amputate limbs, and making the dying, as comfortable as possible. When she finally looked up from the blood and suffering many hours later, it was only to discover that her regiment, along with the rest of the Union Army, had retreated back towards Washington, which meant that Sarah was now behind enemy lines. She placed water within reach of every wounded man who still had usable arms, then walked into the darkness, away from the approaching Confederate army. She reached safe territory the next day, spent an additional two days recovering from exhaustion, then walked on to Washington to rejoin her regiment. Now, remember, Sarah had no previous medical or nursing experience. She'd grown up on a farm, so she'd been exposed to more blood and death than someone raised in the city. But still, the reality of battle and its aftermath was brutal. The sights and sounds and smells in a Civil War field hospital are beyond imagining. But Sarah wasn't tempted to leave after this first taste of war. In fact, quite the opposite. She'd never felt such a strong sense of purpose. Now, Sarah had always been drawn to danger. Even as a child, she was constantly frightening her mother with her latest escapades, firing her father's shotgun without permission, riding the wildest colt on the farm, climbing to the highest point on the barn and other outbuildings. Now she finally had a worthy cause in which to channel this fierce spirit of adventure. And though she wasn't actively fighting alongside her fellow soldiers, she felt a tremendous sense of solidarity with the men on the front lines. Even between battles, Sarah was kept busy in the hospitals where she was stationed. And it wasn't only wounds that she was treating. Thanks to poor sanitation, twice as many Civil War soldiers died of infectious diseases as of battle wounds. In a journal entry dated August 1861, just months after she'd enlisted, 
Sarah wrote about her experience in a Georgetown hospital. There are 500 patients here who require constant attention, and not half enough nurses to take care of them. Oh, what an amount of suffering I am called to witness every hour and every moment. There is no cessation, and yet it is strange that the sight of all this suffering and death does not affect me more. I am simply eyes, ears, hands, and feet. It does seem as if there is a sort of stoicism granted for such occasions. During the course of her time in the army, Sarah disclosed her true identity to at least one other person. Dr. Jerome Robbins was an assistant surgeon with Sarah's regiment, and they developed a friendship over discussions about human nature and religion while working together in a hospital in Virginia. It seems that Sarah became attracted to Dr. Robbins as more than a friend, but her disclosure that she was a woman caught him off guard. He let her know rather sharply that he already had a special affection for another woman back home. But if Robbins wasn't available romantically, he did at least agree to keep Sarah's secret. In fact, he went so far as to glue three pages of his own journal together until after the war. It probably isn't a coincidence that Sarah requested a transfer of duties not long after this disappointment, leaving nursing behind temporarily to become regimental postmaster and mail carrier, a significantly more hazardous position. Delivering the mail meant traveling alone on horseback, often within range of the enemy. It meant as well that she often had to sleep by herself along the roadside. Sarah's various adventures in the army continued for almost two years through some of the Civil War's bloodiest battles. But in the spring of 1863, while her regiment was stationed in Kentucky, she became debilitatingly ill with malaria, which she'd likely contracted in an earlier campaign, and found herself in need of a hospital bed. In her weakened state, all the horrors of the previous two years caught up with her at once. As she would later write, all my soldierly qualities seem to have fled, as if to make up for lost time and to give vent to my pent-up feelings. I could do nothing but weep for hour after hour, until it seemed that my head was literally a fountain of tears and my heart one great burden of sorrow. All the horrid scenes that I had witnessed during the past two years seemed now before me with vivid distinctness, and I could think of nothing else. Fearing that her identity would be discovered if she remained a patient in the hospital, Sarah applied for a leave of absence. When her application was denied, she did the only thing she could think to do in the circumstances. She deserted the army in April 1863. 
That was the last time Sarah answered to the name Franklin Thompson, or any other male name for that matter. For the first time in seven years, she resumed her identity as a woman and became Sarah Emma Emmons once again. But in spite of this momentous decision, Sarah was still not finished with the war. She spent some time recovering from her illness and then put herself into service again, this time as a female nurse in various hospitals around Washington, under the authority of the United States Sanitary Commission. Sarah went on to write a book about her experiences in the Army, which was published in a number of editions under various titles. The first edition appeared in 1864, before the war was even over, and the most recent edition I could find is dated 2016. The book was quite successful in its heyday, selling approximately 175,000 copies. Sarah dedicated it to the sick and wounded soldiers of the Army of the Potomac and donated all its profits to various soldiers' aid organizations. Unfortunately, while it is an interesting read, most modern scholars consider Sarah an unreliable narrator. As the introduction to my own 1999 edition notes, Sarah Edmonds offered readers a romanticized, much-embellished, and at the same time cleverly camouflaged version of her experiences as Franklin Thompson. Even Sarah herself acknowledged the book's shortcomings. When a reporter asked in 1883 if her book could be regarded as authentic, she replied, Not strictly so. That said, the broad strokes of Sarah Edmonds' story are in fact true. She did serve as Franklin Thompson in the Union Army from May 1861 to April 1863. In 1884, she applied to the government both for a Civil War veterans' pension and to remove the charge of desertion from Franklin Thompson's military record. That same year, in order to prove that she and Thompson were one and the same person, she attended a reunion with other members of her former regiment. It was the first time any of her former comrades had seen her dressed as a woman, but they recognized her at once and wondered how they'd ever mistaken her to be a man. As one officer stated, I readily recall many things that ought to have betrayed her, except that no one thought of finding a woman in a soldier's dress. Thanks to many glowing letters of support from her regiment, Sarah was successful in both of her applications. She was awarded a veteran's pension of $12 a month, and Franklin Thompson was granted an honorable discharge from the Army. Aside from publishing a best-selling book and doing some public speaking to promote it, Sarah led a fairly conventional life following the war. In 1867, she married Linus Seeley, 
a carpenter who was also from New Brunswick. The couple adopted and raised two sons after their three birth children all died young. They eventually settled in Texas, where in 1897, Sarah was one of two women admitted to the Grand Army of the Republic, the Veterans Organization of the Civil War Union Army. She died in Laporte, Texas in 1898, at the age of only 56. Three years after her death, her body was exhumed and reinterred in the Washington Cemetery in Houston by a group of her fellow veterans with full military honors. While I did read Sarah Emma Edmonds' book, Memoirs of a Soldier, Nurse, and Spy, it was not my primary source for this episode. However, I am indebted to the introduction in the 1999 edition of the book, which was written by Elizabeth D. Leonard. I found a number of sources online as well, including the 1993 article Women's Soldiers of the Civil War by Deanne Blanton from Prologue magazine, which is available through the U.S. National Archives. I am also indebted to an interview with Sarah dated January 17, 1884, which originally appeared in the Fort Scott Weekly Monitor in Fort Scott, Kansas. I access this article through newspapers.com. If you're enjoying Hintertales or have an idea for a potential future episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at racheldm at shaw.ca. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-D-M at shaw, S-H-A-W, this episode of Hinter Tales was written, narrated, and produced by Rachel Dunstan Muller, with music and sound effects by zapsplat.com. Learn more about my work at racheldunstanmuller.com.